Good morning. Man, it's good to see you here this morning. I'm glad that you decided to come to the 1145 service and be a part of what God is doing here on Sunday morning at Solid Rock. And uh, I'm extremely excited about this morning because we're starting a new sermon series today entitled Redemption Stories. And so over the next 10 Sundays, you're going to get to hear from somewhere between 8 and 10 stories of folks from our church and not just their stories, but how Jesus is writing a better story with their life. And so I'm excited about this sermon series. Today you're going to get to hear from somebody live and in person. Uh, many of the stories are captured on video, and we've got those queued up and ready to go. And so that's where we're headed this summer. I'm excited, super excited about that. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible or on your phone, gadget, tablet, or if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we always put black hardback Bibles um, under the seats around you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you as always. And uh, we'll get started in Ephesians 1 in just a minute. So to begin with, I want to start by um, reminding you of probably what you already know, maybe not, that every human being, every person uh, who has ever lived essentially is an author of a story. And so you may not have ever realized that in your life, but you truly are an author of a story. You're writing a story with your life. You're making real-time decisions you're setting goals, you're, you're mapping out a trajectory. It doesn't always happen the way you want it to happen, but ultimately every human being is an author of a story. And what we're going to talk about starting today is how to write a better story with our lives. See, there's some characteristics of our stories that I think we find true in every story being written. One is this, we tend to write our stories with ourselves as the main character. As we live our life, as we recount the events of our life, we tend to tell our stories, right, with us in the middle and everything else kind of surrounding ourselves as the main character. So we oftentimes write ourselves in as the main character of our own stories. Uh, in, in addition to that, the, the primary theme of the stories that we write uh, are, are initiated and driven by our own ambitions. And so if you were to look at the story of, our, of your life, you're going to see where your own ambitions have, have driven decisions and, and begin to massage the story and direct it in a certain way. Well, there's another indicative of the stories that we write of our lives that is true, I would say, probably everybody in the room, and it's this, that we, we tend to try to write past our failures. And if we're going to include our failures in our story, what we like to do is write other characters in that we can blame our failures on. Or we like to describe situations that explain our failures. Or altogether, we just try to leave those parts of the story out. And so what we're going to talk about today is how when we surrender our life to Jesus, we, we truly hand over the authorship of our life and we say, Jesus, write a better story than I can write for myself. Where, where, where we're not the main character anymore, but Jesus is. Where our own ambitions aren't the main driving force of the story, but, but God's ambitions are guiding the story along. So we're going to be talking about that. That's the heartbeat of this sermon series as we talk about redemption stories. Um, we're really not talking about the little stories that we write, but about the better story that Jesus himself writes when we surrender our lives to him. We're going to get started in Ephesians 1 this morning. And we're going to start in verse 7, but to get us ready to, to read verse 7, understand that we're going to read 7 through 10, which is a small excerpt from a, a larger section of Scripture, 3 through 14. 
in verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians 1 is a beautiful creed that the early church more than likely used to recite together out loud to one another when they gathered for worship to remind one another of the gospel truths, to remind one another of the, of, the, of the truth of God that they believed, and to remind one another of the implications of the redemption that they have in Christ. And so we're going to look at a small excerpt from this early church creed, verses 7 through 10, this beautiful uh, indication and in pointing us to the peace of redemption. So starting in verse 7, it begins with two words, in him. In this particular set of scriptures, this theme of in him is really the primary theme. Jesus is the main character of what we're reading this morning. Verses 3 through 14, over, over seven, eight times we're redirected to understand this is all because of Christ, through Christ, and in Christ, that any of these things are true. And so verse 7 starts that way, pointing to Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven, things on earth. We're gonna start back in verse seven. So for whatever redemption is, because we don't use that word a lot in our modern day lingo, right? Outside of the church, we probably don't use the word redemption a whole lot at all. But before we get to an understanding of what redemption truly is, we've got to first understand this, that whatever redemption is, we only have it in Christ. We're not talking about a therapeutic version of life where we're encouraged to to do better. We're not talking about self-help books. We're not talking about working harder. We're not talking about uh, getting into financial trouble and filing bankruptcy. What we're talking about, whatever it is, whatever redemption is for us, it is only found in Christ. He's the only way to get it, the only way to have it, and the only way to know it. It is in him that we have redemption. So let's stop for just a moment and talk about what it means to be redeemed. So there's a couple of ways to render the word in English. One is this, to, uh, to truly to, to redeem value of something like you're swapping in a coupon for full value, redeeming the coupon, or bringing value back to something that has lost value. But another way to render this word that's that's presented in the scripture is this way. Uh, It means to set free by paying a price. It's this idea of ransom. This idea of purchasing something that is held captive or someone that is in captivity, paying the price to set that person free brings to mind early American history and, and slavery and how you could set slaves free, but you had to pay the price first. You had to purchase, right, this individual person. Then you had a right to set them free. Now, on a much smaller scale, we're talking about this idea of redemption, a price being paid, a ransom has been paid for us that sets us free. And so it's in Christ and only in Christ that we have this redemption, And then we get pointed to this, the price of our ransom. We have been redeemed through his blood. Now let's let's think for just a minute about things of value. 
So every person in the room has got a different, uh, probably um, a different amount of assets and, and savings and retirement and, and possessions and different value. But there's something true about every person in this room. The thing of highest value to you, the highest purchase price you can pay is your own life. It's worth more than a million dollars, $10 million. The highest purchase price you have, the highest the, the asset of greatest value you have that you could pay for one of your children or your spouse or a friend is to lay your own life down. It's worth more than, than any amount of money, right? The thing of highest value you have. Now, what we're talking about here is not the life or the blood of, a, of another human being. We're talking about the very life of the Son of God. And so now all of a sudden, the magnitude of the purchase price just went up. And think about it like this. This is the son of the living God, the God who created the universe. Is there anything, could there ever be anything in the universe of higher value than the life of the son of God? No amount of money, no accumulation of wealth or gold or possessions or land or planets or solar systems could ever equate to the life of the son of God. And so here's, track with me. The purchase price for your redemption is the, is, the, is the highest value that could have been paid. The Son of God. In Him, we have redemption through the purchase price of what? His blood. In Him, we have redemption. Now, as we continue in verse 7, we're told what comes with this. The implications of this redemption are first and foremost, the forgiveness of our sins. So when we get to the, the point where we begin to ask, what have we been set free from? What was the bondage we were under, right? We're directed there pretty quickly. That we have been set free. We have been ransomed from slavery to sin and shame. In Christ, the shackles have been unlocked and the cell door has been unlocked and opened for us to walk now freely. Galatians 5 says that we have been, it is for freedom that we've been set free. Redemption, redeemed, purchased. Jesus paid the highest, the, the, the price of highest value of the universe, right, to set us free. Now, as the, the lingering, ongoing struggle with sin continues, what oftentimes happens is that, is that we oftentimes refuse or forget to live as those who have been set free. Oftentimes putting the shackles back on, even though they're not locked, right, stepping back into the jail cell, and we feel the shame of all of our past, which then which then causes us to not want to share our stories. Or if we share them, we're going to share a, an edited version of the story, the Facebook version of the story, but not the real story. Because why? We struggle sometimes to believe the fullness of what God has secured for us in Christ. Complete forgiveness of sins. And this isn't just Jesus paying the punishment. That's part of it. But it's Jesus literally putting to death all of the shame that formerly shackled us and bound us that in trusting in Christ, you've been set free, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to, it's probably one of the most powerful phrases in this passage, according to what? According to how cool you are? According to how valuable you are? According to how much potential you have? According to your ability to pay God back or for what you're gonna do for him and his kingdom in the future? No, not at all. According to what? According to the riches of his grace. 
according to the riches of his grace. Can we level with a truth this morning that I believe will change the way we understand life in a good way? When you think about the price paid for you, can we, can we embrace this truth? There isn't a person in this room that is worth that price. All the sins of all the people who have and who will ever live on one side of the scales and the life of the Son of God will never be a balanced set of scales. Think about that. There isn't a person who has lived or who will ever live who is worth God sending his son to the earth. He didn't do it because we're worth it. He did it out of the wealth of his grace and his love to cause us as recipients to go, man, God is rich in mercy. Man, God is rich in grace. He was motivated not by my value, but by his own value. As he displays his glory by saving and loving those of us who are completely unworthy. It is out of the riches of his grace that he sets forth a plan to redeem us. Verse 8. Verse 8 begins to illustrate this for us, which he lavished upon us. Now it's interesting because the Greek word here we translate into English lavish brings some visual uh, pictures with it. And so in just a real practical sense, the word here means to go beyond the standard. Whatever's required, you go beyond it. That's the word lavished here, okay? And so we've already talked about that. Whatever was required to redeem and ransom my life, Jesus went above and beyond that with his death on the cross. But the, 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 the picture that comes to mind, I've, I love sharing it this way, it's the idea that if you set out to paint a section of fence, and, and a section of fence required two gallons of paint, but instead you used four gallons of paint. It's that, this idea of going beyond what is required to completely and abundantly cover it, like a, like a sloppy painter. You think of it like that. The riches, out of the riches of his grace, like a sloppy painter, Jesus has lavished us with forgiveness and grace and love according to not how good we are, but how amazingly rich in mercy he is. He has lavished this upon us freely and in abundance. In all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of whose will? His will. According to whose purpose? His purpose. We should stop for just a minute and think about this. Parents, you'll be able to relate. How often do your kids come to you and ask you for what they need versus what they want? I mean, I'm thinking, right, 99 point, somewhere around 0.56% of the time, they ask us for what they want, right? And in those rare occasions where they ask for what they need, we're, we get suspicious, right? Like, what's your angle here? What's the, where, where are the strings at? What do, you, what do you mean you want broccoli? You don't like broccoli. Why are you asking for broccoli? But most of the time, right, our, our loving, beautiful, little, innocent children come to us and ask us not for what they need, but what? For what they want, what they think is best. I want popsicles. I want ice cream. I want Pop-Tarts, right? I don't care about protein and being careful with carbs and all that kind of stuff, right? And so now, now, now apply that to us. We're the same way. As God's children, we, we rarely come to him and ask him for what we need. And we're always asking for what we want, what we think is best. You've got to, we've got to understand this, okay? From, the, from God's perspective, the cross 
was not a response to Israel coming to God and saying, give us what we need. We need a redeemer. We need somebody to die in our place. We need somebody to shed. God, we need your son to come and shed his blood for us so we can quit sacrificing animals. God's will, God's purpose, God set forth in Christ proactively to do this for us. Like a loving parent, he said, I'm gonna give you not what you ask for that you want, but I'm gonna give you something that you actually need. Keep that in mind. There wasn't a person on the earth who ever said, I've got an idea, God. Can you maybe send your son to die for us just to kind of fix this thing? Because we're struggling with identity down here and we don't know what to do with our shame and guilt. And like, no, this is God's idea. It was his purpose, his plan, his will set forth in Christ. If we backed up to verse three and four, we'd see that this was actually set forth from the foundation of the earth. So this was not God getting in a bind and running out of options, right? This was not God saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm all out of options. I'm sorry to have to ask you to do this, but I think the last resort is you're just going to have to go down there and fix them, right? This plan of redemption was set forth from when? The foundations of the earth. Now think about that. What does that mean for us? All of a sudden, our stories, my story just became remarkably smaller, right? Like my zero to 80, should I make it that long, just became like this little micro sliver of time in this amazing epic redemption story that God is writing through eternity. When I see it that way, Jesus dying on the cross is so much bigger than my little story. It's why he writes a better story with our lives than we could ever write. And ultimately, a redemption story is Jesus inviting us to hand over the authorship and say, you write a better story. And we throw in with this amazing, epic tale of redemption that Jesus is writing from beginning to end, extending into eternity. And this was the plan set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to do what? Unite all things to him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And ultimately, a redemption story ends with what? Reconcile relationship. Reconcile relationship first to who? To God. God is paying the price, the ransom for you to restore a relationship with you. You are not a Christian if you aren't walking in relationship with God. Right? It's, it's, it's the same thing. Jesus hasn't saved you to go on your way and keep writing your own story. He's saying what? I want to save you. I've purchased you. I've ransomed you to set you free that I might write a better story with your life. Come dwell with me. Let me dwell within you. And he reconciles that relationship. You know what else happens? He reconciles our relationship to one another. That's why the gospel must be lived out in the context of community, right? You can't be a lone ranger Christian saved by the grace of Jesus, right? And living in isolation. It doesn't work that way. The church is not an option. The church is the way that God has chosen to carry out his mission here on earth. And you've not only been invited into this relationship with God, you've, you, you got us. You got us in the mix, right? You got us because why? God is reconciling the church to one another and to himself. Now what I want to do is I want to invite somebody to come up to the stage as part of our redemption story series to get you here firsthand about how redemption plays out in a person's life. And, uh, and before he comes up, just a quick word. I'm gonna uh, kind of let you know who's coming up. Um, this gentleman has been actively involved in the ministries here at Solid Rock over, over the last, gosh, five years at least. 
and uh, was on staff here, um, led uh, our kids' ministry for several years, led our life group ministry for several years. If you and your family have been here for over a year, more than likely your children have been impacted by the ministry God has poured out through this man. If you've been in our life group ministry, your life has been impacted by the ministry God has poured out through this man. Many of you have been discipled by, sat and drank coffee with this guy, had this guy speak into your life. And so if you've been here, like I said, for over a year or any amount of time at all, you already know who I'm inviting to the stage. Would you join me in welcoming Cameron Glass? Come on up, buddy. Man, it just continues to roll on. Yeah. Well, Cam, you know, thank you for coming up this morning and being willing to share um, your story and more importantly, his story. Appreciate you, brother. And, uh, and I, know, I know there are a lot of folks who know you well. You know, Cam Glass is a household name um, and, and we're, many of us have been impacted uh, by your life in a positive way. Um, I have the honor of being one of your friends. Can I say that? Okay, it's a joy and an honor. Uh, ministry partner, um, even has had the opportunity to just to coach you in, in, in life and or in ministry specifically. And so for so many reasons, I'm grateful for your time this morning. Um, I'd like to begin with just talking about redemption stories in general. Um, from your perspective, why is it important for us to even have this conversation? Why is it important for us? Let's see if we can get this thing working. If it goes all haywire, we'll grab something else, but... We'll use that one for now. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just share from your perspective, your heart, why, why should we even be having this conversation about redemption stories? Um, before I jump in, I do, I, I see a lot of faces I know. <laughs> and it's so good to be here. Hey, in the back, Cal. Um, and this church is such a precious place in my heart. I was really where ministry launched out for me, you know, years back. And um, has walked with me through some some tough stuff personally, and I've had the opportunity just to spend so much time with some people here. Um, so I'm, just, I'm blessed to be here, and I appreciate just being able to have a moment to share with you guys. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, looking at redemption, I, we'll get in a little bit more about why particularly this has become such a, a heavy topic for me, something that really the Lord has just opened my eyes to in a whole new way over the last year, um, specifically. But as I, as I think about it just on the practical level, what I see this day in and day out in this world is, um, you know, we, we've got an issue where we're so, we're so prideful. Um, I know that I, I struggle with that daily. And because of that, um, I get caught up with my life, my world, my story, and it becomes so myopic and I, I can lose sight that God created me for something greater. And in this world, what we find on a regular basis, we see it with the child, the, the parenting books out there. We see it with all the different signs. It's all about you and raising your children. It's all about their self-esteem rather than maybe teaching them about humility. Because last time I checked, when I read scripture, God's not, hey, build your kids up to be the best person they can. No, it's about saying, teach your children to humble themselves that they might see God in a way like that, that no one else could. Yeah. I mean, and, and so to me, it's, it's so against the fray of what culture would communicate to us on a daily basis, what's going into our eyes and our heads and our ears on a daily basis. And so to speak of redemption is crazy for most people. Yeah. 
let alone to look for it in their lives. And here's an even freakier one, to actually want it. <laughs> because it takes us maybe out of the equation, but what we know as believers, which is why it's so important, is that it's the idea of turning in something that, of, of, honestly, like you were saying, it's, I mean, it's all right, maybe even. But number one, it's, it's not as good as what God would want for you, and it's definitely not eternal. And just to see that you can have so much more value instilled in you when you realize the Son of Man, the Son of God, died for you, yeah. and it just it changes everything. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, you know, every person has a story of brokenness, right? Yeah. Different story, but we're all broken, right? <laughs> and so, um, I'd love to hear from you just before we get into the details of even your story um, about you know tons of implications of redemption in our lives, practically speaking. Um, but I'd love to hear from you about the greatest impact God's redemption has had on your, your life and even your sharing your story. Yeah, um, as I think specifically, um, especially over the past year, something that is really just, and it's kind of wild, you know, Jason and I, when we were prepping our over this last week, we, we connected and we went and had uh, coffee at Starbucks because that's what Christians do. And we were talking about our, you know, our sermons, what we we're going to be talking about. And I had put together my outline, he put together his. And it's like the Holy Spirit was just so part of that because we were both talking from this angle of your story. And I was saying the major impact that's been happening in my life is this idea that I don't have to be afraid of my story. Um, there's a lot of good stuff, and I like to talk about that, but, <laughs> but I don't have to be afraid of the bad stuff that I would see as bad and potentially and probably is. Those trials, those struggles, those mistakes. And, and out of that, what I found is that you know, Satan, he has really two tools to wield against us. And it's our sin, it's our shame. And every one of us has something in common in this room. Whether or not you're really good and you can actually hide it, that's on you. But the reality is, is that underneath, everyone's got something. And so I've had to come to terms with that on a very deep level in this past year. But the reality is, is that that sin and that shame is something that Satan uses in order to deceive us and to lie to us that it's better for us to hide behind it than it is to expose it in order that God's glory might be shown in a way that it could never been shown without it. If I can share a passage, there's a, a passage that has come to mind over this last, as I've been just kind of sitting and thinking through um, these thoughts. And I'm going to read it because I don't like to misquote scripture in church. <laughs> Anyways, um, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through um, 10, I might really start with verse 9. Uh, Paul, Paul communicates something very powerful, and it's something that, again, Paul does this thing where he just blows your mind by saying things that are so ridiculous. Um, but this is one of them. Um, here's Paul, right? If you don't know Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, okay? I mean, he was this guy who was well-known. God met him on the road to Damascus personally. Jesus is like, hey, Paul, like, I haven't had that happen on the road to white settlement. You know what I mean? Like, he had every reason to be prideful about his faith and his journey and the fact that God chose him and he had an impact on the world that I could only wish and dream to have. And yet he says this, verse 9, but he, or God, or Jesus, said to me, my grace 
is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the, and the power in that, which is so crazy, is the fact that he's not saying, you know what, I'm going to be okay with my weakness. No, he's saying, I want the world to know. The way that everybody at your office boasts about something they just did right and wants the pattern, I'm going to tell them about how screwed up I am. Why? Because he knows that Christ is shown in ways against the darkness of our life, the glory of God shines brighter than it ever could without it. And he's saying, you know what? That's worth showing the world. But more than that, I, I was just so encouraged by this part right here in verse Nine at the end, it says, therefore I'll boast gladly in my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And that word is the same word that we get for word tabernacle and dwell. He's saying, I want for the presence of God to rest on me. Rather than the weight of all my sin and my shame and all of this burden that I, I carry around, I would rather have God may your presence weigh on me so heavy and so thick that I am consumed by you. How does he get there? His weakness. That's not easy to come to. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, oh, what a beautiful promise, right? I mean, who doesn't want the power of Christ in the presence of God? I mean, in what you just read, and, and to hear that that's yours. Through what? Boasting in your weakness. Man, what a, what a powerful scripture. And, and what I'd love for you to do, um, Cam, is, is maybe share personally um, part of your story, or better yet, part of his story in your life as you've walked through redemption even recently and what that's looked like. Would you mind just sharing with us a little bit of that? Yeah, um, I've had the opportunity to share this story a couple times, and um, I'm not sure how emotional I'm going to get at this point. I might have run out of tears. I've been trying to drink water to rehydrate, but... Um, but for those of you who I do know, um, you, you know, and have, have been here at the church while I was here, um, you know a little bit about this, but I, very few people in this room or in my life really understand maybe the depth of some of that, that darkness. Um, and then for those who are, who don't know me, um, hey, I'm Cam, you'll find out in a sec. So, <laughs> um. So yeah, so I was on staff here um, for several years, had just amazing opportunity to just serve alongside some of the most precious people I've ever known. And this is really, like I said earlier, home for me. My parents for years were in Europe. My brother's a Navy pilot and he was somewhere across the, the globe and the rest of my family was in New York, Pennsylvania. So y'all were it. And, and y'all have walked with me through so much and been there for so much. And this is, this is my family. And so about a year ago, um, February 1st, it was Super Bowl Sunday. I was out with some buddies and um, had a couple of drinks and ultimately was pulled over for DWI, was arrested, and then ultimately convicted of that. And then through that process, just things, it's like the world turned upside down. Um, 
You know, it's like all the dreams that you have in your life and that I had set up for myself. Um, just been overwhelmed by the nightmare that life had become. And so through that time, I mean, it was like a tornado. Just thoughts going through my mind. Um, just questions, pleading, bargaining, just asking God, going through anger and then guilt. And then, oh my gosh, why, why would you? And then God, why would you? And then, oh my, and it, just going through all of these emotions very quickly and not really knowing how to manage it. And um, to put the icing on the cake, the only number I knew by memory when I was in jail was my mom. So that was a fun phone call to make. Um, and then it got a little better because I don't know how many people here have ever been bailed out by their pastor. <laughs> don't recommend that. But, um, but yeah, but there, there they were, uh, Jason and Brian. Um, and as I sat in that, that jail cell, it was just, you know, 18 hours, the worst moment of my life. And, and just seeing what, what now? Um, knowing that moving forward, everything was going to change and so afraid of what that meant. And asking myself, just to Cam, like, what is the purpose of all this? What are you doing? And making it all about me too often <laughs> and finding myself just going back and forth between all of these questions. And so um, through that experience, um, finally, uh, you know, as, as Jason and Brian came and picked me up and went home, that next Tuesday, met with the elders, and um, it just kind of began the conversation, what do we do now? Because never had this experience in the church, and I hope it never happens again. Um, but just asking, what do we do now? And so sitting there, one of the things that uh, Jason communicated, I just remember vividly, was, Cameron, we need to protect our congregation. We need to protect the flock. And what's going on in my mind in that moment is, awesome, let's get rid of the sinner. <laughs> And, and then that's not where the conversation ended, though. Jason then said to me, and you're part of that. And so in that moment, realizing that this wasn't something I was even going to be allowed to walk alone. <laughs> and, and so, you know, ultimately asking me to, you know, to resign for that moment, setting aside, you know, hey, this is going to be a process of restoration we want you to walk through. And then and understanding that part of that meant showing up on Sunday morning and asking myself, what does that look like? I mean, all I really wanted to do was find the biggest rock in Texas and dig a hole and climb underneath it. Um, but when I couldn't find a rock big enough to cover up all of that, I decided to show up on Sunday morning and, um, and just be with the people and that's, that was rough. Um, but over time, what I found was I was really good at giving grace to people, but really poor at receiving it. <laughs> and that's something that God totally wrecked with me on there. And he said, Cam, it's not about you. And I got to just see a whole other side of the church where people were pressing into me and asking me, how can I serve you, we're praying for you, and people who are walking alongside of me in ways that I, I didn't deserve, and I wasn't necessarily pursuing, but 
just seeing grace just lavished. Um, sometimes being like, leave me alone. <laughs> but but I'll be, ultimately, it was just, I knew I couldn't be. And so, um, so walking forward in that process, I mean, really, just God just really brought to mind something really interesting because maybe this comedic underlining that goes with the entire thing is that I was still in seminary at that point, finishing my master's degree. And part of that degree is you have to preach and um, part of a preaching class. And so I was, I was had to preach a sermon two weeks after I was in jail. And so I was like, awesome. And so uh, I had already picked the, the sermon text. I already knew what I was going to be preaching. And it was Josh out of the beginning of Joshua. And it's the story of the Jordan. And so I'm um, crossing the Jordan. And what we know from that is that for 40 years, right, they've been, if I can share the story, I'm just running here. But uh, yeah, they've been going through the desert 40 years, desiring to get to that promise that God had made to them. But it just seemed like they couldn't get there. A generation had passed, and here they are on the edge of the Jordan. They come up to it, and what do they see? They see it's flooding, and they can't get across. And they're looking, saying, seriously? <laughs> I see the promise. I see where I want to be, but I can't get there. And so God comes and speaks to Joshua and says, Joshua, I want you to take the ark and put it in the Jordan a little ways up. And when you do, it will dry up. You'll be able to cross on dry land and get to the place that I've called you to be. And the ark of the covenant is the presence of God. That's what it represents, and it always has. And, and for me, one of the most powerful things I think that I learned through the entire experience is that in those moments, the worst thing you could ever do, yet I'm so prone to, is to try and push away God's presence and say, just give me a breather. And he's saying, you don't understand. I'm the only way you're going to get through this. In the second part of that story, it says that they were told to pick up stones from the middle of the Jordan and take them to the other side in order that future generations might know what God had done here. And so it took me a little while to get there. I didn't even get the application of the sermon, I don't think, until two weeks after I preached it. But, but my prayer became over time, and it wasn't every day. Because I'll be honest, there were those days where I was just like, God... I don't like you. I don't, I don't get this. And it's just like everything that I knew and theologically made sense. It just wasn't enough. But God kept pressing in and reminding me, Cam, don't forget to pick up the stones in the midst of this. Because there's other people along the way that need to know what I've done here. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't been perfectly faithful with that. <laughs> but um, but I, I want that. Because I know as I, I look in this room, I see faces at work that there are other people who have those moments and they're standing on the edge of the Jordan asking, how am I going to get through it? And I want to say to them, you can't. But there's redemption and there's hope in Christ. And just to, to communicate that, that's... Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, thank you yeah. for... <laughs> boasting in your weakness with us for a moment, um, for sure. And, you know, Cam, <clears throat> I remember early on talking with the elders and even talking with you about, like, hey, we don't know the perfect way to walk through this, and so we know we're going to have to have grace here, right? Mm -hmm. Both sides have grace. And, and looking back on those early conversations, you know, with the elders, just 
a tangible expression of redemption as each elder went around the, store, the table and said, you know, like to one another, like, hey, I've got a story of redemption. Hey, here's where God has redeemed my life. And so, like, the heartbeat of that whole process from beginning for us was how do we put in place a process that will bring about restoration? Uh, because that's what we believe here at Solid Rock, that God is a redeeming God. And he, he doesn't just restore back to, but over and abundantly, right? And so, um, believe that, as the scripture says, the gift and the callings of God are irrevocable. Um, that the, the, all the amazing ministry God had done through your life, he still wanted to continue. And so, um, you know, early on, we, we kind of set out, hey, man, this is kind of the best way we can figure out what restoration should look like. And part of that was we said to Cam, hey, we want to see you fully restored in ministry, like on staff, at a church, here, somewhere else. Um, you were in the pastoral ordination process. We said, hey, we want to see you fully reengage in that, be ordained as a pastor. This is not a a list of punishments, but just a process for us to walk through leading towards restoration. And, and so um, I'm excited to announce, like to everybody here, if you're not aware, um, God has called you to serve a church in the Metroplex, coming on staff as a future pastor at that church, serving underneath a lead pastor um, with all the gifts that God has put into your life and, and all the ministry he continues to want to pour out of your life. You've reengaged in the ordination process with us as a church Next Sunday night, 5 o'clock in this very room, we're going to ordain Cam as a pastor in ministry and finish that. And so just knowing that on the onset, even though there was this Jordan River in front of all of us that we didn't know how to cross, we knew the promises of God. And just anchoring ourselves in those promises, saying for better or for worse, we're probably going to get wet here. We don't know what this is going to look like. But we do know what the promises are, right? And we know that God's presence will walk us there. And so... Um, It's just been such an honor and a blessing to the church family, to the elder body here, to me as your friend, just to see you um, truly trust God through this whole whole process and to see restoration come to completion in his life, in your life, man. And so um, what would you be your your hope for us? I mean, more than just learning more about you this morning, how would you hope to encourage or impact our lives this morning um, as you've shared? I mean, I, I guess I'd leave with just really the, the comment I was sharing earlier, which is don't be afraid of your story. I think so often we miss the impact of those things. There is a world around you. you it doesn't matter where you go, your work, your family. You know, last thing that your kids need to think is that you're perfect. need to point them to the perfect God because that's the only hope any of us have and the most effective way God's given us to do that is to be able to show them how God restores and God's not just in the business of making ugly things beautiful or even broken things fixed God makes dead things alive and to trust in the power of God to do that in every single person's life and to trust that even in your story the darkest place of that story that God can take it and use it in an amazing way to show his glory in the world. But also this, to trust, in fact, that as we embrace our weakness, we're going to find a place where we can enjoy his presence in a way we never have before. And as you look and you find your weakness, say, God, thank you for that, because now I know where to look for you. And so just to encourage you all with that, don't be afraid of your story. And I guess my final is just this, is that as I think about 
going through that, and I think about the presence of God that I had in my life. You know, it was through his word. His word was obviously there, as you saw. But more than that, the most tangible expression, I think, of his presence was this church. And you're a fool to think that you're going to get through it alone. I really believe that engaging in the presence of the church, of, of God, is, is really being in the presence of the church and confessing to one another and being in community with one another. And so don't walk it alone. You're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. But press in and just be honest because there's beauty to be had in the ashes of our life when we allow God's presence to be an integral part of the process. So, Amen, amen. Well, hey, thank you for blessing us this morning, for sharing your story with us. Would you just join me in thanking Cam this time? Thank you, brother. Here's kind of where I want to land today. Um, maybe, maybe this is the first time in your, your life that you realize that you're writing a story. And today uh, you're hearing that God is inviting you to surrender, to surrender the authorship of the story, to surrender the main theme and ambitions of your story, to, to literally hand over authorship to him and say, dear God, write a better story with my life and make it about you and not about me. Um, I just want to encourage you that um, today, there is an invitation for you to take your little sliver of a story and throw it into this epic, eternal story that God is writing of redemption. And we get there by faith and faith alone in what Jesus has done for us. And so if that's you today, um, you can have that relationship with God. You can have all that's been described in redemption by simply trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, for your salvation, for your redemption. By simply saying, I believe God, I believe that your son Jesus is exactly who you say he is and I believe he has done exactly what you say he's done for me. He has paid the ultimate price to ransom me and I'm trusting in him and him alone for all eternity. By making that your prayer in your own words and your own heart, that is the moment that redemption begins to wash over. And so I wanna pray for us this morning as Jason Martin comes back up. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion. So let's just take a moment just to begin praying in our own hearts, if you would. I'll give you a second just to contemplate uh, maybe all that God has spoken to you this morning. If you could just spend some time thinking through that, maybe open up your heart to hear even more from the Father. Um, before we take communion, maybe you would spend some time just saying, God, would you, would you illuminate my life? Would you expose the things in my life that maybe are, are still hidden? Maybe think for a minute about your own story. You might even take a moment to think about important relationships in your life that need reconciliation. Maybe you would leave here today and make a phone call or set up some coffee at Starbucks or a lunch meeting or some time really to, to press into reconciliation with another person. Just take a few minutes, if, if you would, to prepare our hearts for communion.